Private Lender Podcast, Episode 9. What I always like to do with my private lenders is I always like to make them aware of what Plan A is and also help them understand what Plan B is. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, coming to you pre-recorded from the cultural equivalent of polyester, Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and thank you for joining me today. And welcome to episode number nine already. Can't believe this. Uh, seems like I just started this yesterday. So thank you for listening. And if you've heard all, all eight previous episodes, uh, thank you for sticking with me. I, I do appreciate it. And please keep your comments coming. And your ratings and reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or however you listen to this. Uh, good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, I want to hear it all from you guys. So, And I appreciate those who have have taken the time to, to leave ratings, reviews, and uh, also email me with uh, ideas, comments, suggestions. As I'm recording this intro in my hotel room, there are helicopters f- flying all around. Military helicopters as well as tourist helicopters taking people to the Grand Canyon. So... It's been a little difficult trying to get uh, this recorded without uh, the hum of uh, helicopter blades. So I'm going to jump straight into the interview with Philip Carranza and stay tuned afterwards. I've got some announcements coming up, so enjoy. Joining us today is Philip Carranza of Refuge Real Estate. Philip, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing your time. And can you give us a, give us a little background on uh, how you got into real estate and uh, kind of a, a quick little uh, introduction that leads us up from your beginning to uh, to today. Yeah, so real estate has always been a, a longstanding passion of mine. Um, currently, uh, 34 years old, and I started when I was 23 years old when I first bought my first fix and flip in the West Houston area. And uh, what got me interested in real estate was actually a documentary on uh, interesting ways w- in which people earn a living that uh, don't meet the typical eight, uh, nine to five type uh, scenario that most corporate individuals uh, see in their day to day lives. And, you know, it's just about this gentleman in Washington, D.C. that bought condemned townhouses and restored them and then just sold them for profit. He did that four or five times a year and earned a pretty good living doing it. So that was uh, the first thing that kind of piqued my interest. And that was actually prior to the huge boom and all of the uh, HGTV, you know, fix and flip type TV shows that are out there these days. Right. Yeah. So uh, what was the name of that documentary? You know, in, in retrospect, I can't even remember uh, the actual name of the documentary, but it was only about 45 minutes long and uh, it went over three different careers that don't take a typical path. And uh, this real estate investor was one of them. So it was only about 15 minutes long, his segment. That's, it. That's the first time I've ever heard someone say they got into real estate over a documentary. And, you know, normally it's Carlton Sheets or, you know, up at 2 a.m. on uh, watching TV. So that's, that's cool. I like that. It's interesting. So, I'm sorry. I didn't uh, yeah. interrupt. Uh, continue, please. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been in, interested in real estate. Uh, I've always have a 
longstanding sales background and moving into the real estate world, a lot of what, uh, all aspects of what we do uh, revolves around salesmanship. And um, by understanding the process uh, in order to not only understand a real estate transaction, but also understand the client that's in front of you, both uh, whether they're selling or they're in need of specific real estate type services. It's a, it's a very, very um, sales oriented industry. And by being able to uh, navigate those waters, both all aspects, um, it's it put me in a position where we've been able to found this company five years ago and uh, grow it to a fairly good size over the last four and a half to five years. So give, give us a little background on what Refuge does. Um, I know you guys operate primarily in the east side of Houston, but uh, give us, walk us through kind of your, uh, your normal property or normal project that uh, you look for. So the evolution of a typical investor tends to be, uh, you know, wholesaler first, learn how to stir up, uh, manage your marketing, stir up opportunities and leads. Uh, then typically as people kind of get that down, they tend to move into um, assigning those contracts for small fees. Then they move over to rehabbing where they actually acquire a private lender contact or a hard money lender contact. And they're able to actually take their leads and actually own and, and excuse me, uh, purchase and own the property. Um, and then they kind of evolve into a landlord slash owner finance and or private lender themselves over a period of time. We're actually um, in the phase where we're building out our rehab business um, and we are moving more towards into owner finance, landlording, and private lending ourselves. So uh, Refuge is kind of a full-service real estate service company. Uh, we offer wholesale leads, construction management, property management, and uh, we also do a, a lot of short-term and long-term investment opportunities. So you've got quite a lot under, under one roof there. We do. Um, I originally started the company five years ago uh, with two additional partners. And uh, my two partners both are in our real estate brokerage end of the business. Uh, one being uh, our sales manager and marketing director. He also uh, sells quite a bit of our inventory and helps us stir up new opportunities on MLS. Then uh, my real estate broker partner, she came on board uh, about three uh, to four years ago. Uh, got her brokerage license and we started our real estate brokerage that now uh, houses uh, 24 individual real estate agents underneath her broker's license. Wow. So you guys are a full service uh, real estate company because I know you, you do a lot of development. Um, I have to say the, the fix and flip doesn't seem to, to really accurately describe what you guys do because you, uh, you really transform the houses that, uh, that I've seen you guys um, you know, take on as projects. Yeah, you know, one of one of the competitive advantages that we have um, in our business model that we've created is that we focus on older properties, and particularly older properties that have substantial need for rehab, or sometimes in some cases, complete restoration. Um, so, in a difficulty level, your typical fix and flip investor may be steered away from or uh, intimidated by the types of projects that we tend to take on day to day. So what that allows us to do is we've created a business structure around some of the most difficult projects to uh, take down and uh, successfully remodel um, or restore. So we've actually even somewhat moved into more of a new construction, uh, excuse me, new construction and urban infill builder 
where we are actively acquiring um, houses that are uh, either in a condemned state where they cannot be restored. We just tear them down and build new construction or we uh, take them down to the studs and completely restore them where by the time that we're done with them, a what some would call a remodel is almost like new construction in our case. So, so I'm, I'm guessing you guys also have a, a, a general contractor element under the refuge umbrella as well. Correct. Um, when I was getting started in the business, you know, a little over 10 years ago, um, I, like most real estate investors, were relied upon general contractors um, to be able to come in and help me manage and remodel my projects. Um, what I also learned very quickly, which many other investors have, is that contractors uh, can be very difficult to manage from time to time. Um, I didn't want all of my, my specific projects um, required to have this particular general contractor to accomplish these remodels. So what I ended up doing is actually slowly but surely developed relationships with actual laborers and um, also with subcontractors that are actually on the ground floor bidding out the labor and the materials to perform the work. By being able to go directly to the subcontractor, it to one of two things, you can greatly increase your cost or you can greatly decrease your cost. Um, it all revolves around how well you can manage them and how well uh, and, and knowledge, knowledgeable you are on the process. So by managing the construction from start to finish, it allows us to focus on a much more extensive supply chain that some other builders and developers may not be used to, uh, but it allows us to control cost, control quality, and in, in most cases also control um, uh, the, the quality and the end product that eventually can become a brand um, that is desirable uh, to multiple audiences. Nice. So you even consider your branding in the, the construction aspect of it and the remodel. I like that. Yeah. There's many times where people ask us to come out and give them a quick co- quote. And, you know, uh, when, when I, when I come to find out that we're just one construction company that's bidding against four or five other general contractors, uh, there's a lot of times where I'm very upfront with the client and say, you know, if we're going to get five or six estimates, there's really not a need for us to, to move forward with the project because in most cases, we're never going to be the cheapest, pro- uh, the cheapest product or the cheapest uh, remodel. But what we will be is uh, we have consistent uh, quality. We have consistent, um, uh, you know, point of contact, you know, after the actual project is completed, uh, warranty work is answered and performed in a timely fashion if needed. And, you know, we stand by our product and we want to make sure that our clients are well taken care of after, uh, after the project is uh, closed out. I like that. Uh, I like that. I like that model. So, oh, pardon me. My, my dog is interfering. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to know how, um, when, when in your, in your, uh, hold on, let me start over. I'm curious to know how you got introduced to private lending or private lenders using them for your projects. And, and then let's, let's get into you becoming the private lender yourself. But um, if you can take us back a few years, uh, what was uh, your first experience or how'd you, how'd you come to know of uh, private lenders? Yeah, it's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, here in Houston, I was flipping properties, you know, um, probably three to four projects a year. And I happened across a a hard money loan company that had a series of foreclosures where they had to take back some properties. 
when I actually, I was actually reaching out to them to try to acquire one of the properties and knew that I was going to use a potential hard money lender to fund the project. In doing so, I actually built a relationship with this particular hard money lender. Um, they're based out of Dallas. Their name is uh, Longhorn Investments. There's uh, several people that know me from the marketing world and the real estate investment world for the first three to four years um, that I had founded Refuge. I was also working with Longhorn directly as their marketing director here in Houston. So what happened is um, I ended up buying the property from them. They turned around and then financed it with us. Uh, so they actually took out the hard money loan on the same house that they had had to foreclose on previously and sold me the property uh, with the hard money loan included. And I was able to turn the project around, sell it. And I think that both on my books, it was a positive project. It was a, a profitable project. And it allowed me to help out a hard money lender uh, take a non-performing asset or piece of real estate off of their books and turn it into a performing loan. Um, I got to ask you, forgive me if, if this is insulting, but what were the terms of that loan? I think that um, at the time, um, Longhorn, their rates were similar to what they are currently offering to most investors. Now, um, even to this day, we still actually broker some uh, loans over to Longhorn from time to time. I just no longer work uh, full-time with them or day-to-day with them. Um, their terms typically range like most hard money lenders. You're looking at you know anywhere from two to four points. And you're looking at an interest rate anywhere from two, um, excuse me, from 12 to 14% interest. Okay. Yeah. Typical hard money. Okay. I, I was just yeah. curious. I was wondering if they, if they were, uh, I just, that was early on in, in, with your relationship with them. So, um, but I, I thought maybe there might be a chance they would have lowered it, but um, if that was early on in the relationship, then, then probably not, but that sounds pretty typical. So um, thanks for clarifying. Correct. And so how much, uh, how much, how much private money have you used in the last 11 plus years, would you say, percentage? You know, I don't, I actually ran the numbers recently and, and I, I don't know how much we borrowed and paid off in the, you know, 10 plus years that I've been an investor. Um, but just in the last year with Refuge, um, our development company has borrowed over $10 million in private money, hard money, or bank financing. And we probably paid back in fees equity participation from some of our partners and also um, interest uh, a little over a million dollars to our private lenders, equity partners, and our banking relationships. So in about, and to answer your question in the last year, a little over $10 million. Nice. So let's, I like that you brought up that some of your lenders are equity partners, which is something we haven't gotten into on this, on this podcast. So if, if you could uh, just kind of give us a little, intro into, you know, like your, your deal with Longhorn was, you know, let's say, you know, two to four points, 12 to 14% interest for whatever, you know, duration. Um, walk us through what one of your typical equity partner slash private lender deals looks like. So what I've identified as I've kind of grown our business away from typical hard money lender um, arrangements and pricing we move into the private lenders where um, you may, uh, instead of two to four points, you may get as low as zero points to two points on average, depending on the private lender. And the interest that the private lenders tend to pay is anywhere from about, you know, on the low end, seven or eight percent, um, up to about 12, 13 percent in some cases. However, there are also opportunities where we might uh, eventually 
partner with uh, our private lender uh, from an equity standpoint where they may 100% finance all of our acquisition and our construction for us. And instead of uh, having us pay monthly interest payments, they may participate in some sort of an arrangement where we might give them a preferential rate of return on the project plus some back-end equity that might bring their overall return on their money and their capital higher than if we structured it as just a, a pure private loan. The reason in which we tend to pay a premium for this type of arrangement as the borrower is we have a substantial track record. We have a substantial um, uh, amount of volume that we uh, process through our construction company uh, annually. Uh, on average right now, we range anywhere from 40 to 45 houses under construction at any given time. So in, in a situation for us, what we're trying to accomplish, even if we have to pay a slight premium on the money, is we're trying to limit our exposure, our, our cash tied up in any one specific project. And what allows our private lenders to feel comfortable with that type of arrangement is specifically uh, our track record. Um, our, my background as a hard money lender myself, um, my extensive resume, my extensive uh, reference list of past partners, past lenders, and past equity partners that have done projects with us in the past and are still currently doing projects with us in the, in the present. In an equity situation, are you, are you doing like joint ventures or are, are they are you forming LLCs to uh, in, instead of just a promissory note and perhaps a first position lead once that, that private lender becomes an equity partner, what type of uh, arrangements do you have with them? There, there's multiple arrangements that we've actually structured that type of uh, uh, situation. Sometimes it involves creating an entity in which that private lender or that equity partner would then take an ownership interest in that entity. And that is their kind of uh, security into the deal since there's technically not a lien against the property since we're not structuring it as a typical private loan. So their ownership interest is um, held in the company agreement for that partnership. It, outlone, it, it, excuse me, it outlines their specific um, duties as the capital partner or the equity partner. It also outlines our specific duties um, as the developer slash operational partner. And um, essentially the partnership between uh, us then actually takes ownership and deed to the property, um, sometimes with and sometimes without leverage. So uh, there, I have several partners that just want to fund everything through their IRA or through cash money that they have on hand. And then some people that also want to use that joint venture uh, if it's outside of their IRA to go out and secure um, a bank note that will lend us a majority of the property, excuse me, a majority of the project's necessary capital to finance the acquisition and the rehab. So by in introducing that leverage scenario, there's also a chance that their uh, return on their money tied up in the deal can be substantially higher. And what type of... Uh, when you're using leverage, are you are you using commercial bank loans or uh, you know, lines of credit, or how what uh what what helps you facilitate that construction loans? One specific um, area in which you know once you have a company such as ours that's hitting their third, fourth, sometimes fifth year, um, what you create is a track record that you can then market to banks. So we're right in the process of being able to. Uh, develop uh, specific relationships with conventional banks. Um, and to be honest with you, a lot of our banking relationships are local um, 
banks, you know, such as uh, anything that you wouldn't necessarily uh, walk into and the, and the lines a, a mile long, with, such as Bank of America or Wells Fargo. Um, we're looking for the more localized banks, um, you know, several of them uh, local here to, to the Houston area, some state-ran um, banks. Uh, but typically, they have a much more personal and intimate kind of a relationship with their clientele base. Um, in this particular case, uh, a lot of time your point of contact at the bank knows you by name and it's a, a more relationship driven, uh, excuse me, it's a, it's a more relationship driven um, scenario where they're actually understanding your company, how it operates, and then they try to plug in ways in which they can help your company grow. And that, that is such, that's so, I mean, these regional banks, the smaller banks that you touch on. And I mean, you know, when I got into real estate investing, Someone asked me, what, what is real estate investing about? And I said, it's about property. They said, no, it's about relationships. It's about people. And this is, t- ties it all back into, you know, comes full circle with, you know, uh, bank. everyone wants bank money because of the cheaper interest rates, right? However, Correct. it takes forever to get bank money. And you have to basically, you know, autopsy yourself while you're living. In order, to, in order to get it. So, um, at least financially speaking. So, I, I, that's great that, you know, like you said, a track record is, is huge, um, you know, and, uh, you know, Refuge and, and, you know, has a, a great reputation uh, throughout town as well. So, you know, that's certainly... You know, we've been, surprising. it's very uh, important that you mention that, you know, we've actually been working on developing these banking relationships since year three, and we're coming up on year five. And slowly but surely, uh, between year three and five, We've developed one new relationship about every three to six months. And um, what we're working on in 2018 is continuing to grow those relationships. Um, As any builder, developer, as they grow and increase their volume capacities, understands you can't just have one regional banking relationship. You're going to have to have multiple. Um, So as we kind of continue to grow those relationships, sometimes we will plug in those specific types of financing into our joint ventures and also uh, sometimes directly into our acquisition strategy strategy outside of private lending to where we're plugging in our own cash and our own equity into the deal uh, utilizing a bank loan. That's great. That's, that's, that's uh, that's very interesting. I'd like to touch back on when you do your private lending or or refuge does its, its own lending. I'm going to assume that you use or your, your lending criteria and your mindset is very much that of a hard money lender since you've you know, worked with one. In determining your criteria, what's the number one thing that you look for when you're looking at a project? Is it the property? Is it the, the, the borrower, the, the investor? So my past experience with Longhorn, you know, they are a hard money lender. They um, also tend to evaluate the actual property more so than the borrower. Um, however, there are some criteria that both Longhorn and other hard money leaders still want to see, such as a certain minimum credit score, um, a particular project that kind of meets their necessary parameters. Um, they, they tend to be able to take the deals that they want and then pass over deals that don't fit their, their, uh, their typical um, criteria. So what I've seen is that there are there is a very large need for a particular private lending company and or hard money lending company 
that focuses more on the actual deal and the true asset that's uh, being used to collateralize the loan. Um, One aspect of when, when we actually broker money is we do have the infrastructure and the capability of in a worst care scenario situation where a foreclosure needs to take place to actually um, uh, exercise the interest that the private loan had against the property or the asset. In most cases, we have the capability of liquidating the asset through our wholesale company, finishing the construction with our development company, or marketing the project in as-is condition through our real estate brokerage. So what we focus more on, rather than what some private lenders and hard money lenders focus on, is more of the asset than the particular borrower. So if the asset and the numbers on the deal make sense, uh, in most cases, despite the situation that the borrower may be in, whether they might have um, imperfect credit or they may have uh, a situation where um, a particular project tends to be a larger scale project than most lenders, private, both private and hard money, tend to go after. Those are the types of deals that we're willing to fund and look at more closely and evaluate from a different perspective than some of the other people in the, mar- in the marketplace. I tend to, for me, the asset is everything. But I, more than credit score in my personal lending, I like to see that there's enough uh, cash reserves to see the project Absolutely. through, you know, that's to me, that's, that's the bigger key that, and also I, I do have a construction background. So knowing that, you know, if somebody's relatively, let's say new, I, w- I won't loan to newbies, but you know, let's say relatively new, if they still have a mentor or a partner that knows the process, knows how to right. handle contractors, then I feel a little better you know, about, about loaning the money. And, you know, and but you know, if, if the numbers work, the numbers work. So, um, but it all starts with that, with that, uh, with that asset, like you said, that's going to be collateralized, and and you guys have the I'll say infrastructure to dispose of it. Um, yeah, your worst case scenario sounds like a lot of you know a lot of your divisions are are, are getting work from it. Right, it's not all yeah, bad. Yeah, and, and you know, very similar to my story with Longhorn. You know, I first met them where we bought one of their houses that were in foreclosure. Um, we've actually bought um, foreclosures from several of the the hard money lenders and private lenders in the industry. Um, I would say that we've probably taken at least anywhere from eight to 12 different properties that were in, uh, that, that were taken back by a particular lender, whether hard money or private lender, and actually then taking those assets off of their balance sheet and then helped them liquidate the asset through either buying the asset directly from them or performing services on their behalf to help them maximize what they can get on the liquidation side uh, of their asset that they had to foreclose on. Can you share with us your worst moment as a private lender or like the worst deal that you've, you've lent money on? That's a good question. Um, I, I would probably think that um, as most larger developers and more capable builders and developers that uh, have the capability of doing bigger projects, um, I like every one of those individuals at one point was in a particular area of the uh, of the Houston area, uh, which is go, goes by Greater Heights. And um, this particular area of the Heights, uh, we were looking at a particular project. And we did understand that because of the oil and gas downturn, that the Heights was being overbuilt. Um, but this particular deal presented itself to us, and we wanted to go into it with a very, very um, 
unique strategy where we instead of going into uh, this particular scenario, you know, tearing the house down to the studs and completely reframing and adding on a huge addition and, and trying to sell the house for 600000 plus, um, what we actually tried to do was to acquire the property, um, go in and do all of the necessary repairs to make sure that it's a, a sturdy structure, um, but actually do a much lighter remodel because what we wanted to do is we wanted to be the value buy in the neighborhood. And by doing so, we were hoping to be able to undercut all of the larger builders by over six figures in the territory. And what we actually ran into is something very similar to what everybody in the Heights is currently or previously um, running into is that um, it started to become overbuilt and there wasn't enough buyers for as many developers and builders that were in this territory. So your inventory levels and days on market were both creeping up. Um, it push came to shove. We couldn't sell the property for the even though that we were probably underpriced compared to a lot of the competition in the surrounding neighborhood by about a hundred thousand dollars. We still couldn't move the project. So what we ended up having to do is we had to renegotiate with our private lender, and we had to buy some additional time so that we could convert the house from a single family home into a duplex, which cost us about another. And we were able to easily lease out that duplex once we got that completed. Um, It is now currently a two bedroom, one bath, and a one bedroom, one bath duplex. And we were able to lease it out to where the numbers made sense. It cash flowed nicely. And then at that point, we were able to secure a refinance with our bank. Um, We just couldn't find somebody that was ready and willing to spend. $3,000 plus a month on a single family house in the Heights uh, as a rental. So by carving it into a smaller duplex, we were much easier able to rent that particular property um, and and quickly to uh, two good good quality tenants and position ourselves uh, to where it was stabilized. And then we were able to take out the hard money of the construction loan with a long-term loan solution. Great. So you use the, the the private money to to acquire and to sort of speak rehab the property. Correct. Had to shift gears there in, in, in midstream, but sounds like it was it was a successful. And then use the commercial or conventional bank financing to cash out your private lender, and I'm sure get a more attractive long term interest rate on that. Absolutely. On that. Cool. What knowing what you you know hindsight's twenty twenty. And I mean, the fact that I think it's great that you, you came in with this strategy saying, you know, we're going to be the low cost operator in the Heights. And, you know, as you said, you know, everybody had a, you know, every developer seemed like they were, um, you know, buying, just paying way too much for, you know, lot value. But you knowing now what you, you know, what you didn't then, what, how would you have handled that differently? How would you have approached it differently? Not, not just from the strategy uh, on your rehab and sale, but just um, with, with the uh, terms with your private lender? Well, one thing that I did learn most definitely is to better understand that regardless of whether a deal um, presents itself, uh, be aware of the entire marketplace and all the factors that kind of uh, factor into what your strategy is going to be, both initial and backup strategies. Um, 
in retrospect, going back, you know, and, and just for full disclosure, in the Heights, our company has done high-end remodels, and we've done high-end client-based projects. So we're very familiar on how to do the high-end project. We've we've sold seven, eight hundred thousand dollar houses in the Heights prior. One aspect of what we were trying to do, we were trying to forward shoot what the what what the market was going to do. And it put a, put ourselves in a in a particular situation where we had to execute the backup plan. So what I always like to do with my private lenders is I always like to make them aware of what plan A is and also help them understand what plan B is. Because the the more secure your private lender feels with both your initial strategy and if things don't go as planned that you already have a secondary exit strategy, it makes them feel much more secure lending you their money, uh, knowing that it's not live or die on selling the property. If, if you have an alternative backup plan to be able to reposition the debt um, and reposition the, the property as a whole, as, as in our case, to where it, instead of a single family house for sale, it ended up being a small multifamily house for rent. And uh, because our private lender had such uh, understanding in our situation and worked with us and knew that we had a very long-standing track record in being able to execute these types of projects, they were more than willing to lend us the money. So always structure your financing to where your lender both know, knows both your primary strategy and secondary strategy if, if things don't go perfectly. I, I really like that. And in fact, when... Personally, if I loan on a flip, but one of my first questions I ask is, what will the property cash flow afterwards? And they always stop me. No, I'm not going to rent it. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but you right. know, worst case scenario, what type of cash, you know, given these numbers, given the the level of rehab that investor wants to do, what's the cash flow? Because, you know, things can happen. You know, oil can, you know, this is Houston, right? I mean, oil can drop out, hit the bottom tomorrow. Again, things change, you know, right in the middle of a rehab. Uh, so knowing that I like, I like that knowing, you know, several exit strategies, you know, this is what we want to do. You know, this is what we're going to do if we can't, I think, and I think it's great that, you know, transparency is everything being straight up front is going to give that lender, um, you know, a, a good feeling about, uh, you know, one, you, you refuge or you're the, the borrower, but also the project, um, that they're, they're loaning on. Absolutely. And you know, that lender to this day, um, still has other outstanding loans with us. So, um, it was just one little hiccup in a long-standing relationship, and you know, once again, transparency is key. As you mentioned, uh, we were very upfront in what we were planning on do, doing, uh, both beforehand, during the situation when we were we were not able to offload the property, and then also in our final exit strategy when we had fully stabilized the property and we're working on a refinance. Excellent. That's um. You know, some uh, an investor once said to me he cut his own throat before he didn't pay his private lender because, you know, it all it takes is one that you don't pay and uh, you know call it karma or golden rule or whatever, uh, it always comes back. So, um, you know, especially my, speaking for myself, I, I like to you know work with people who are straight up and upfront. Uh, it, it is it is business, but at the end of the day, it's somebody's money, and sometimes it's uh, you know the retirement funds or whatever. So. That's a that's a good point. I'm glad that you you uh, you brought it up and you drove it home for us there. Yeah, you know, one last little thing that we that kind of ties into that is that people tend to always ask, you know, um, have you ever lost money 
on a real estate transaction. And any experienced real estate investor um, with enough volume and ex- uh, experience under their belt um, that, is, that is being upfront and honest with you is going to tell you yes, uh, that they either have lost money or broken even on a particular deal. But as I convey that to my private lenders or anyone that might be asking me that, uh, I say that, yes, I have broken even and or lost money on particular deals. I've learned quite a bit from those particular projects. I try not to repeat my mistakes, but whether I make money, break even on a project or lose money on a project, my private lender or hard money lender has never lost money in that situation. They're always paid principal and interest. And uh, by being able to do that, regardless of whether you're breaking even on the deal or possibly even taking a slight loss in the situation, that lender is going to be willing to continue to lend you money indefinitely. Absolutely. You know, that w- when things go wrong and that, that investor makes the lender whole, and honors the contract as it was written. That's that's huge, especially whenever you know it's a it's a it's, it's rough seas for the investor, and he still pulls through. I mean, that's you know that is right. That's how you get repeat lending right there. Um, just you know doing the right thing. Philip, I'm wondering what what advice could you give someone who would like to get into private lending? What uh, what's something that uh, you could some words of wisdom to help them get off on the right foot? Well, in the process of developing our relationships with our private lenders equity partners and banks, um, mostly with the private lending uh, aspect uh, of the industry. There's a lot of private lenders out there that are just new to this type of process where they are actually replacing the bank, lending their cash, whether it be after-tax dollars or IRA money to fund a transaction for a real estate investor. Sometimes um, they may not know how to do it correctly, uh, I always advise our private lenders and um, always make sure that they have introductions to attorneys and uh, counsel, whether um, be most, most importantly, uh, a good lawyer and a good attorney that can help protect their interests in a transaction. Um, every single attorney that we introduce to our potential private lenders, whether um, newer private lenders or more experienced private lenders, we introduce them to multiple attorneys that in all cases have never represented us. They have always only represented the interests of our private lenders. So there's no conflict of interest because we do not ever ask those specific attorneys to ever provide uh, legal services for us. Um, We always ask for us to be able to introduce them to our private lender and to protect their interests as, as that private lender is their client. We're simply the borrower in the transaction. So Having the right um, education, having the right connections, and also having the right borrower that has the capability of making sure that you as a private lender, that you feel comfortable in the situation uh, through the legal process of being able to secure their interests against one of our projects, and then also providing them references, providing them um, examples of past projects providing them uh, proof of track record, et cetera. The better you that, that you can make your private lender feel, the, 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 the more secure you can make their interest, then the, the more uh, loyal they're going to be uh, long-term. Uh, I'm not looking to borrow one private money lender. Uh, 
I'm not looking to borrow one particular loan from a private lender just once. I'm looking to borrow it once so that I can prove to them that they should continue to lend me money, both current and in the future, if they choose to stay in the private lending industry. Um, I always tell all my private lenders, I want to be your preferred, I want to be your preferred borrower is what I always tell them. And any way that I can do that, whether paying you a preferential rate of return that's higher than some other borrowers, or by just making you feel comfortable with our track record and uh, making sure that your, excuse me, your interests are secured at all times. So that's the, the advice that I could give private lenders, both newer and the experienced ones that are already in the marketplace. And that, that is a great answer because I would say the guy who got me into private lending did exactly what you just said. He, uh, he bent over backwards to make me feel comfortable with the deal and, you know, didn't pressure. Said, look, if you're comfortable, we'll move forward. If not, I can answer questions. And if, you know, if we, if we part ways and don't do a deal, we, you know, so be it. And I, uh, you know, felt comfortable. He, you know, pr- provided references, his, uh, uh, credit report and, uh, everything. So uh, I like that answer a lot. I mean, the, the short answer there is, you know, look for borrowers who are, are going to do that. We're going to take that, uh, especially for a newbie to, to, to take the extra time and the steps to make that lender feel, uh, feel comfortable. So great answer. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm curious to know what, uh, what books are on your coffee table or your nightstand? What are you, what are you reading right now? Not just, you know, real estate it could be business or fiction. Well, what, what are you reading? You know, right now, um, there's no one particular book. What I, what I spend a lot of time doing is reading a lot of online publications. Um, I'm a subscriber to many local publications, you know, Chronicle, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I do a lot of reading uh, with the Economist online, um, just better understanding um, all aspects of, because uh, they definitely do not only focus on real estate. However, a lot of the specifics about the, the, the areas that they do kind of shine lights on does help with the overall running of business in general, running a company, and then also um, being able to understand local markets and uh, economics as a whole. So um, economists, I read a lot. Um, and there's a lot of local small blogs that um, have quite a bit of value and information on the micro, the the changes that are happening in a very, very specific, smaller market that we, that we specialize in. So, um, we, we focus inside the 610 loop and, um, there's quite a bit of information out there that where you can see things that are happening both on the public sector, you know, city of Houston and various other government entities that are investing money into specific territories. Uh, as you know, uh, hurricane Harvey just recently rolled through um, the city of Houston, being able to dig up everything that you can find on what the overall solution long-term is for the issues that the city of Houston faced during that specific situation, not just the immediate changes that they're going to plan to make, but what are they doing with uh, the specific territories that flooded around the Barker and the Attics Reservoirs? What are they doing uh, with Lake Conroe that had to have their dams released during the process? How is that going to affect these different territories that we spend night and day, you know, sometimes seven days a week. I I don't know about you, but I work seven days a week, but I'm in these territories all the time and I want to know what's going on. So all of this information that we can gather from local publications is very valuable in directly managing a larger scale 
uh, real estate development company, both for rental portfolios, for acquisitions, for um, long-term planning. You know, um, everyone wants to diversify their portfolio and everyone wants to understand where is the market moving. So a lot of these local publications help us accomplish that. Um, I would say between The Economist and those local publications, those are the ones in which I spend most of my time reading. And And when you actually ask for names of the local ones, it's more like just information that the city of Houston puts out uh, on their website that is public public knowledge, you know, for specific spending um, criteria for public infrastructure. What are they doing uh, about the revitalization efforts in different parts of Houston? Right now, three of the, the specific territories that we invest in are part of a five community um, project directed by Mayor Sylvester Turner. And that particular program is called the Complete Communities. Um, those five territories are Gulfton near Galleria, Acres Homes off of 45 North, the near north side, just slightly north of downtown Houston, the second ward or the east end, um, which is east of downtown, and the third ward surrounding TSU and University of Houston. So these particular um, public programs where they're not just pouring a couple hundred thousand dollars, but they're, they're pouring millions of dollars into these local real estate markets to help rebuild infrastructure, rebuild parks, to, to, re, to, to rebuild and provide additional services on the education uh, and educational front. How will that affect those local communities and how can you actually capitalize on that by being a developer and participant in that process? Wow, so you're, you're really looking tackling this from like, say, the macro down to the micro. And that's, Correct. Uh, that's great. Learn your market, learn your local market. And that's that, uh, that, that's, uh, that's great. That drives it home. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, I don't know if I can unpack that anymore. There's a, there's a lot of good wisdom there. Um, this isn't just for Houstonians, you know, this is for, you know, basically all over the United States. So, you know, we can, I can't speak to somebody in, you know, Georgia or Atlanta, but I think that they can take from that is, you know, just like you said, go to the local authorities and in whatever town that they live in and, you know, dig up where's the development going, where are the government projects or you know, where's the private development coming in as well? Who's building the high rise or, you know, whatever the mixed use stuff. So absolutely. That's great. I, li- I like that. Well, um, Philip, that's about all the time we have. Uh, how can, uh, how can we get a hold of you if we want to learn more about you and, and refuge real estate? Absolutely. Um, whether for private lending, general construction management, um, wholesale opportunities, property management, um, you can reach us at info at refuge, R-E-F-U-G-E dot R-E, as in real estate, info at refuge dot R-E, or you can reach out to us at 281-888-3212. That is our office number. Just ask to speak to Philip and uh, we can talk further. Great. All righty. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on uh, the podcast, taking your time and sharing your knowledge, uh, sharing your biggest asset with us. And that's, you know, your time. Uh, it's been a great, great episode. And um, I wish you uh, all, the, all, the, all the best and uh, prosperous investing. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Keith. It was a pleasure. All right. I'd like to thank you for listening. And I'd also like to thank Philip for coming on today's show and telling us about Refuge Real Estate and his real estate strategy, his investment strategies. 
Remember, you can go to privatelenderpodcast.com, episode nine, to learn more about Philip on the show notes page and, and learn more how to contact him. And head on over to the events page where you can see upcoming appearances by the Private Lender Podcast and certain things that we're sponsoring, such as the Quest IRA Self-Directed IRA Expo in Dallas, Texas, this August 25th and 26th, 2018. Come on over, say hello. Love to meet you. Maybe get you on the, uh, the podcast as well. So that's going to do it for today. I wish you guys all the best, prosperous, and safe lending. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.